So this is, this is a really, if you think about it, in the Jewish calendar year, the 10 days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are called Aserisimei Tshuva, the 10 days of Tshuva. And this idea of Tshuva, there's enormous amounts of fuss made about it. What is Tshuva? And not only in terms of the focus of globally, the Jewish people, it's a very charged spiritual time, but even the actual nature of Tshuva itself is something which is, which is mysterious. I'll explain to you why. There's a, the Talmud is divided up into two different Talmuds, the Jerusalem Talmud and the Babylonian Talmud. In the Jerusalem Talmud, in the Tractate of Marcus, it cites the following series of questions. It discusses this idea of tshuva. Tshuva means a return, a, a reclaiming of self. I don't want to use the word repentance, which is an oft-used translation because it has a wrong connotation. It's about a re, re, reclaiming of... Let's making up for what I did wrong, something in that realm. But let's, let's think about how it works. The Gemara says the following thing. They went to Chochmah, the wise men. Went to, the wise men asked wisdom, personifying wisdom as an entity. Wisdom. If a person makes an error and they break the collaboration between the internal spiritual world and the external spiritual world, that's called a chait. A chait means a misalignment, that things get caused to be put into disarray. How can they um, be realigned? And wisdom says, nothing. You can't do anything about it. Once it's broken, it doesn't get fixed. <coughs> the Gemara cites a different a whole series of questioning until the Gemara says, until they went to the Creator himself and they said, what should we do in order to do tshuva? And he says, what, do, what should we do in order to repair the damage done by this misalignment? If we, if we do want to get realigned, how do we do that? And... Hashem responds and says, Tshuva, Tshuva is the answer. Tshuva is the answer. So I want you to take a step back. And this is actually quoting from a work called Takona um, Sashavim from a man called Rip Tzodika Crane, a very, very um, extremely deep work. And he asks the following question. If we think about Tshuva as saying sorry, when we say sorry, how does it work? The natural ebb and flow of relationships is it's impossible that we won't at some point in time in an intimate relationship offend the other. We're going to get offended. And it's the norm that when I get offended and you come over to me and you say to me, you know, I messed up, I'm really sorry. If I've got half a heart, I'll say, I'm okay, I get it, let's move on. Meaning forgiving is one of the natural parts of any relationship. Someone doesn't turn up for a meeting. They completely just like forget about it. So it's obviously not that important to them. They like wasted your time and you feel, okay, a little bit upset. But they come over to you and they say, listen, I got distracted. It's been a busy time. I say, it's okay. Okay, let's move on. It's a normal thing. Not only that, if you think about the attributes that define the Creator, He's Av Harachamim, He's the most merciful in the world. So if he says to you, listen, 
I want you to not eat that food. It's not kosher. And, you know, it looked good. And you ate it. And you grabbed him afterwards and you say, I'm sorry. I can't. You know, he should say, I get it. Let's move on. Like, what's the big deal? This is like something you can't fix. What do you mean you can't fix it? Shem says, I'd really like you to do this. You say, I would also, but I messed up. I'm sorry. Let's move on. Your mother's got this cake in the fridge that she saved for you don't know what. But you open the fridge and you see the cake. And you go, amazing. And you take a massive slice of the cake out. And then you go away and then you hear screams coming from the kitchen. Who took that cake? And uh, you look at yourself and you think, hmm, it may be prudent to disappear. But you've got guts and you go over to your mom and say, listen, mom, I, I just thought the cake was there. She says, you just thought the cake was there. How often are there like beautiful cakes in the fridge? It's just there. So you say, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, Ma. She goes, oh my gosh. And she forgives you. She forgives you. You get on with the relationship. So, you know, you eat trafe. Go and shame. You say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have eaten it like the cake. I shouldn't have eaten it. I did eat it. I'm sorry. Move on. Shame should say, cool. Like, what's the big deal of chuva? broken. You can't fix it. So I want you to shift that paradigm. And recognize, and this is something which is a recurring theme in Judaism. Judaism is not an ism. It's not a religion. It's a state of being. And it's not prescriptive. It's descriptive. So, in other words, let's say, for example, I decided that I want, you, I want everyone in the room, everyone in the room, focus on keeping my watch, which I'm about to release, suspended in midair. Okay? Intend. One, two, three. Uh, didn't work. Well, because there's a law of gravity and all the good intention in the world doesn't do nothing. There's a chokhmah. We ask wisdom. What can you do if you do a chet? Chokhmah said nothing. It's a rule. It's a break. If I go and I smash the window and I say, I don't want the window to be smashed. Not that I want you to forgive me for the smashing of the window. I don't want the window to be smashed. Chuva is not getting forgiveness. Chuva is the rep- repairing, the healing, the reinstating of the thing that was broken. It's not getting the person who offended to get over the fence. It's for your own good, you have created some kind of internal wound and now you want to, rest, you want to make restitution for that. Well, you, you can't because it's broken. It's broken. So what do you do? That's the big thing about chuva. Chuva is not forgiveness. It's recreation. The precedence of that, for example, Jared, I go over to you and I say to you, and then before you can even react, I take from my hand a hammer and I smash the windscreen of your car. And you go, oh, I'm really sorry, I just love the sound of breaking glass. <laughs> and like you, you like, eventually you get over it. And when you say to me, Siegel, I kind of, I get these vibes from you, so I'm okay. I forgive you. So we look at the windscreen, it's still broken. It's still broken. In the world of cause and effect, what's broken remains broken. There's one exception. There's one exception. The exception to the rule is physical healing. Healing. 
let's say I have my finger and I cut off a chunk of my finger. Chunk's gone. What happens? I'm missing part of skin over here. But I have a system above the system. In the system of my finger, there's nothing to do, but I've got DNA. And the DNA, as it were, has a vision of what the finger looks like intact. So the DNA finds a way of reprogram, regenerating a whole new skin that will totally cover up the missing part. And it will be restored as if it was never damaged in the first place. The expression of tshuva is one of healing, which means as follows, and this becomes a Gemara in Menachis. The Gemara says the following thing. In the mystical world, each level of reality came into being corresponding to a different energy force represented in the four letters of the name of Hashem. There's a Yud, then there's a He, then there's a Vav, then there's a He. The Yud is the seminal idea of creation, but the He is the bringing into reality. So this world was created with what's called a He. The actual word He means make, create, make a go, build. So He is the, is the letter of creation. The way the letter is physically formed, the visual of the letter, is it has a, um, a beam on the top, a line on the top, a line going down perpendicular, and a little leg parallel to the original leg. And there's obviously a gap at the top. So the Gemara says that's actually the way the world looks. It's designed that way. It's designed in such a way that if, it's almost if the hay is an aerial view. It's a map of the world. And the world is designed where it's got an area which is cut off at the top, cut off on the side, a wide opening in the front, like a porch. It's called a porch. And then a small access point at the back. Seeing it as, as a visual. So seeing it as a visual, let's say there's, there's that, then there's that, there's the, the top, the bottom, and then there's another thing over here, and you're looking at it as a, as a, as a plan, a plan of the world. So, so what's happening? So there's obviously enormous amounts of movement. You can, there's no blockage to go out. So Gemara says there's a world, and there's, there is a structure that will allow you to remain aligned and contained within the reality of the world, but you can escape the reality of the world. You can get out of it. That world of cause and effect is in the spiritual sense, an easy one to break. You can just step out and then you, as it were, outside of the realm of the confines of that spiritual system. And when you step out, so you're breaking all the rules. So what should you do? You should go back in again. So the Gemara says, well, why is there this little access point at the top? The Gemara says, so if you, if you realize that you've become lost, you can go back through the top. So the Gemara says, okay, just go back in the same way you went out. The Gemara says, it's not going to help. It won't help to go back the same way you came in. I want to explain what that means. Try. When you think about the laceration caused in my finger and how it gets healed, it gets healed from a higher point than where the laceration occurred. There's a system above the system. In the actual finger itself, so then there's, there's something removed. But in the vision of the finger, everything is still intact. You with me? Chuva 
is when I recognize that there's a misalignment in my life. Something's broken. I'm never going to be able to fix what's broken with the same broken thinking that I used to create the problem. You can't fix a problem with the broken thinking that you used to create it. You have to go above and see it in a whole new light and regenerate it. In other words, if I'm in the muck and I'm not working, I'm not calibrated, things are going wrong, I'm behaving badly, I'm not in tune... So what should I do? I should try to become more in tune. No, I have to go above and recognize that my vision is wrong. My vision is wrong. And only through correcting my vision can I then drop it down into my day-to-day life. For example, for example, one of the major emphases in Judaism, Torah, the system, is the way we utilize words and how we, how we craft our speech. So I realize that Okay, but very often I say a snide remark and I say something which is perhaps not 100% true and I say something which is disrespectful or I'm cynical. So I think to myself, well, I have to, I have to be better at that. So I'm not going to say those things. And I say, I'm never going to say that word again, but I haven't changed anything. I'm just trying to apprehend. How about this? Let me visit a world where I perceive speech in a completely different light. And in that world, in that vision of speech... It's incomprehensible to say something which is not true, to be snide, to say something negative. It just doesn't work. I go back to the place which has a vision of the system as a whole and how it works. And then I try to regenerate that within my day-to-day life. That's called chuva. Chuva is I go up to the top point of the head. I go higher, I go above, I go to the DNA of the system and I realize it's pointless me scrounging around in the dirt trying to put these broken pieces together. I want to go to the place of healing which is way, way above. Once I'm in that place, everything looks different and I can see myself differently and what I do differently. That's the secret of tshuva. So that's huge. Tshuva is a healing, and it's called that in the, in the verses, it's referred to v'shav rafalo. a person will do tshuva and he'll be healed, because it's a healing, it's a, it's a repairing, it's a repairing, I've got a broken being right now, and I need to be repaired, but I can't repair my broken being by trying to put those broken pieces together, I have to go to a higher place where the system is complete and regenerate from its origin a whole new being, and that's why it's regenerative, and that's why tshuva means return. I have to go back to the beginning. Tshuva is actually a return. It's going to the point where everything began. In the original, it was perfect. But now as it came out, it just kind of messed up and it got all confused and lost. And I have to repair it. But I have to go back to the origin to repair it. For me, this realization has been profound. I'll try to bring it down and give you a couple of examples to make it more real and tangible. Actually, in regards to speech. So I try, to, I try to control the words that come out of my mouth. It's not easy for me, especially when I'm triggered by something. I get a strong emotion and I just want to say something to someone because they awaken something within me. And I try. And for years I've struggled. Recently, I had a completely different experience of what speech is all about and something that we shared. That speech is the creative energy that I possess. Worlds are created through the words that are said about the world. 
words aren't just words. They, the creative energy which provides the model of reality to myself and to the other. And therefore, every time I open up, open up my mouth, I'm potentially emulating the creative act. And when I think about the creative act, there are four components which I recently discovered identify with the beauty of creation. Creation has a unity to it. There's a unified presence in the world. Creation is constructive and not destructive. Creation is aligned and not misaligned. Creation is positive, it's good and not negative. And in contrast, in contrast, things which are un, they're not unified, things which are destructive, things which are misaligned, and things which are negative are the inherent opposite of creation. And those three components are a reflection of three different, four different attributes on the negative and the positive sides of life. The one is manipulative, manipulative, convincing, persuading, flattery, where I think one thing inside and I project something else. That's disunity. The opposite is when I speak with authenticity and integrity. The second component is when I speak, I want to be respectful and not dismissive. I want to build and not break. The third one is I want to speak truth and not lie. There's coherence, congruence and not misalignment. And finally, I want to speak positively and not negatively. Now, my vision of speech has changed. I've got four components that I can focus on, and therefore that that encompasses the way I speak. It's not about, oh, did I say this about him? What what am I doing? I'm not in that little mucky, little tiny thinking. I've got a much greater vision that my mouth and my tongue are my power tools of creation. And am I using them or am I abusing them? Am I using them to put positivity into the world, authenticity into the world, respect into the world, construction into the world? Or am I using them to break, to dismiss, to derogatory speech and then all of a sudden but this is the problem though okay good I've got the vision now I've got the vision and I realize I'm not caught in the little nitty gritty muck of it all I've got the vision but having the vision is very different from living the vision so let me just go back first step of chuva is recognizing that I can't fix myself with the same broken thinking that made me get broken in the first place. I have to go above and see what the complete picture looks like. Step one, go to the system and not to the details. Step two is I realize, good, I've got the vision, but it gets sabotaged, it gets hijacked on the way. So I know, I know how I should speak now. I've got the vision of what speech is, and it's so important, it's so encompassing, it's so powerful. But... Um, it's hard to do. It doesn't get kind of translated. Because knowing something intellectually isn't the same as being it. So how do I integrate the new vision into my life? And this is, is, is a very interesting technique given to us by Rabbi Shah Salanta. He says that the way I integrate the understanding is I need something to hang on to the shift in perception. It's not enough just to make that intellectual switch. 
that paradigm shift. I need to contain it. I need something, almost a vessel that can contain the change. And the vessel to contain the change is creating a small shift in behavior, which is a readjustment of sights. I have to shift my behavior in a mild way, but I recognize that that shift of behavior is encapsulating the shift in idea. Go back to my example. And it's very, it can be very, it can look the same, be very different. Let's say I don't have this vision of what shiva is. And I realize I'm speaking badly about people. I say, do you know what? I'm going to stop speaking badly about people. And I um, say, I'm going to, what I'm going to do is for one hour a day, I'm not going to say a single negative word about anyone. But it's, it's just all in that same vision of, of whatever I think about think, speaking badly. And I decide not to speak badly for an hour a day. It's one way. Version one, not doing the chuva model that we've just suggested. Another way. I recognize that my entire version, vision, perception of speech is inaccurate. I, don't, I didn't appreciate the power, the incredible creative energy that the words that words possess how word smithery is the ultimate craft and I internalize that and I think about that and I think what I want to do is I want to refashion my words but to go from 0 to 100 in 3 seconds flat ain't going to work so what I'm going to do is for an hour a day I'm going to embody that new person that I want to be and that's sustainable both people are doing the same thing. One's doing it with understanding, comprehension, trying to embody the idea in an action, and the other one is doing an action. The one doing the action remains caught in the muck. The other one becomes liberated because he's hanging on to the concept through a behavior. And the idea, of course, is that that one hour will mutate into two hours, into different ways of speaking, until eventually perfection will inhabit over the course of time, slowly but surely. It will be a little thing, but it will be like a seed, and it will grow into a tree and bear fruit. So you try to seed. In other words, chiva involves a paradigm shift. The paradigm shift is step one. Step two is finding a way of encapsulating that paradigm shift in a small behavioral change. But that the behavioral change is a reorientation of direction. So that one hour is not just one hour. It's I want to shift my speech entirely and I'm going to turn the steering wheel that much so that in 10 years time I'm going to be in a completely different place as if I held it straight. And how do I turn the steering wheel just one little notch, one inch to the, to the left by in, introducing this behavioral pattern but being conscious of what it's doing. It's moving me forward. It's not just there as a ritual or as a symbol. No, it's a catalyst for change. And then I think to myself, after doing that perhaps for a month, I see, you know, I've been doing this for an hour a day, and I've actually found some challenges with it. I find that, that I'm actually, in that hour a day, I often slip up. So then I think, let me, let me see if I can do it for half an hour. And then I check in with myself two weeks later and say, you know, half, half an hour a day worked. But what I recognize is what actually gets me to lose my grip on the words that I say is when I become emotionally charged. And the way that the emotional charge manifests is in my tone of voice. So what I'll do, I'll do half an hour, but in that half an hour, I'll also work on being conscious of uh, having a more gentle texture in my voice. 
And then I do that for two weeks, and I say, that actually worked. Do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to try not, spe- not not speak badly, just shift the tone of my voice for another 20 minutes, two hours later. And then what happens is I, I get involved in this dynamic of feeling out how I can bring this vision into my life. And there's a give and take, and there's experimentation, and there's success, and there's failure, and I move forward, and I move backward, like life, like life, like life. But in the course of that struggle, slowly but surely, I'm in a different place. And a year later, I'm in a different place. And two years later, I'm in a different place. And ten years later, I suddenly recognize, when I look back to that first time I had that realization, ten years ago, I suddenly realize, yeah, I, just, I just feel that I speak with integrity. I'm authentic. I'm not dismissive. I'm respectful. I'm positive. And I think, whoa, that's amazing. Always room for improvement. But look at that shift. And it took ten years. And that's what we're trying to do now. We're trying to shift the axis. We're not trying to make a complete and rapid overhaul. That generally doesn't last. It's too, it's too much for our system. It's too, too shocking, and we can't contain it. There's, there's, there's not enough bandwidth to, to hold that level of change. But to make a reorientation. And I found in my life, small actions can be completely transformational. Completely transformational. A one-hour week session was a catalyst that moved me from South Africa to Israel, which then had a spiraling effect on every level to every dimension of my life in terms of my wife, my family, my children, my position, my career, my life, my vision. One-hour week. That was it. One-hour week. And you can probably think about your own lives how one-hour-a-week things have changed you. So what we're trying to do now is to engineer a small thing like that that's going to shift our entire perspective and life and put us in a completely new different, different direction. And that involves a very simple process. Go back to the origin of the idea and have a new vision, a complete paradigm shift. It's not about becoming better. It's about becoming different. That's how they used to say it in the great Musa Yeshivas. It's not about being better, it's about being different. Better means I'm in, the, I'm in the market, I'm just like putting band-aids everywhere. Being different means I see things so differently. I see my life differently. I see my relationships, different, relationships differently. I have a different view of spirituality. I have a different view of the people around me. I have a different view of myself. I shift, I shift, I shift. And shifting is so hard. Because our fundamental prison is the prison of our mind where we create these artificial and arbitrary cages which we've become trapped in. And if we can just get the keys to those, open up the door and become free, that's what it's all about. And once we're free, the sky's the limit. It really is. The sky's the limit. And for me, one of the most powerful ideas about Shiva is the greatness that we possess within us. And this idea encapsulates that because going to that vision implies greatness. Why, is, why, why shouldn't it be on the top of all of our minds that every single one of us can dramatically change the course of the world? Dramatically change the course of the world. Each and every one of us. And, I, and as I say these words, I think to myself, one second, oh my gosh! <laughs> That's what the Rambam says about what Shiva is. And this, this is the words of the Rambam. He says, a person should look at himself as if he's suspended between doing the right thing or doing the wrong thing. And if he does the right thing, if this one action is right, he'll tip the scales of, the, of, of himself. And 
then he should see himself as if he's an individual in society. And the society is balanced between good and evil. And if he does one thing, he'll tip the society. And then he should look upon the world as if the world is balanced. And his action will tip the world. The Rambam says, you have to look about yourself as a world changer. And when you start to think in that scale, it gives a sense of perspective to, oh, maybe then my coffee isn't as important. When I'm thinking about changing the world, so then my coffee gets perspective. And the little things become little and the big things become big. So it is about perspective. Change. Revaluation. Vision. Engineering. It's an art. It's a skill. It's a science. It's liberating. It's transformational. It's everything we need. And as we step towards Yom Kippur, there's something unique about Yom Kippur. It's the one time in the year, the one time in the year that we are outside of space and time. The highest person, the high priest, goes into the highest place, the Holy of Holies, and the Holy of Holies has no dimension of space for another time. And we essentially relinquish our hold on the physical world. We don't do anything physical. We don't eat. We don't drink. We don't do any physical indulgence, not because we're depriving ourselves, because we're liberating ourselves, because we transcend to the higher plane. That's what Shiva is. Going to a place above the place, going above the system, above the system of the material world, and reaching a point of complete and total transcendence on every level. And when we get there, then we can enter back into the world with new vision, new hope, and a new power to transform ourselves and the world around us. That's our quest.